0: Hello everybody, this is Ray Dagham from STEP and welcome to this episode of Meta Conversations where I interview successful startup founders in or from emerging markets. If you enjoy listening and find it useful, you can follow the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or watch the video version on stepplus.stepconference.com and let's get started. All right, Jed, thank you very much. Uh, good to have you here. Thanks for thank joining. You, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining the podcast, uh, the show. Um, it's great that we get to do do this, uh, even when we're in different countries. You're in, in Paris right now, uh, I'm in, in the U.S., uh, different time zones. And it's great that we can get to do that. that's the great thing with virtual. That uh, they can do this and continue to have these conversations, no matter we are in the, in the world. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for joining. And uh, before we start, maybe if you can, uh, just for the audience to know, tell us a little bit more about Sarwa. What is Sarwa? What do you guys do? Uh, maybe a little bit background story on when you get started.
1: Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. So, uh, so Sarwa basically is, uh, um, the Middle East leading robo-advisor. What that is, is basically it's a a kind of fintech, uh, an online investment platform. Uh, So the idea is pretty simple in the end, it's to make it very easy for people to uh, invest and save for the long term. Uh, So whether it's, you know, people who want to save for their retirement, for their uh, education, um, for their kids, whatever, Uh, you know, from three years to 30 years horizons, uh, you just make it very easy for them to invest uh, you make it very affordable. Uh, you make the experience completely online, and you you know you try to bring all the perks that come with uh, you know all the new services um, that came with the digital age, and you try to bring them to the to the investment world. Uh, to the world of people's personal finances, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's
0: been a research, like especially, uh, for example, here in the US, like with Robinhood and especially millennials investing uh, and being more educated on invest- investing, investing mm-hmm. early on and stocks and different things. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing the same thing in the in the in the Middle East? Uh, our are younger? People more educated now, more aware, to, uh, taking these steps earlier on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think it's it's there, it's in the Middle East, but it's not just young people. I mean, I think everyone in general, um, uh, just as a trend. Everyone's more uh, aware of investing. A lot of people are more aware of investing as as more of a need now than a uh, uh, than this luxury or, or something that's reserved for other people. Definitely, um, you know, young professionals uh, are at the forefront of that. Um, and there's a lot of things that went into that, right? I mean, whether it's uh, you look at the... Um, whether it's the the stock market going up and down in the in the last two decades, you know we all lived through now a couple of those, and we saw the difference of you know those who invested, those who didn't, those who stuck in the market, and those who didn't. Um, and then there's other things like whether it's cryptocurrencies, um, other things that you know got people excited about uh, about investing and got them to really understand that. Uh, um, uh, that that investing is now more possible, more affordable, made easy, and it's the only way to basically generate wealth uh, in, in the long term uh, without having to work for it every day. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so, how
0: how, how do you get started? Uh, when when did Sarah come about? Uh, where were you? How did the idea come? Were you in a job? Were you outside a job?
1: Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, we had the idea to for Sarwa and we started working on Sarwa, um, you know, at the very earliest steps. I think it was 2017. Um, like September 2017. So, uh, before that, uh, I was working at a Um, high-speed trading uh, hedge fund so I was in in finance working on the technical side Mark was uh, working in uh, digital banking services consulting on his end Um, and we were at that time trying to think of, uh, we, we knew we wanted to basically launch uh, something, um, and I think it came from a, a trip to uh, to Lebanon that Mark did, uh, where uh, you know, we were aware of uh, robo-advisors in Canada and we used them ourselves, um, and I think he had a conversation with a relative and sort of understood that, wait, this doesn't exist here, um, and we both kind of liked the idea for for, you know, each our own purposes or reasons. Uh, it felt close to home. It felt like something we could do. Um, we we like the idea of doing it in the Middle East, you know, since we're both uh, Lebanese. Um, so it just became kind of this, uh, it, it seemed to check all the boxes and uh, it was a tantalizing thing to try to, try to do. Um, and of course it took uh, Took a lot of time to, to actually go from that idea, that one conversation, uh, to to you know going full time at it, um, but that's basically how it started.
0: Going full time meaning you were, you were and you were you were having a job until things were at a certain stable level that that's when you left.
1: Yeah, so it took about a year of uh, of developments and uh, discoveries basically before we went from okay, this is an idea that we have to this is something that uh, now I'm ready to quit my job for. A bit of a long story, but in the meantime, in that year, uh, a bunch of things happened. We started talking to uh, just people in the field people who might be angel investors in the future, started getting some interest. Uh, we started talking to Nadine, who we, who I knew uh, from before. Um, she was, she would help us basically with just understanding the UAE as a market. Um, and that's basically how we just started working together in the early on. Um, also just building some sort of prototype. I mean, for us it was, the idea was, um, you know, we we didn't have many leads on where to get started. We just knew more or less what we wanted to make. And we we knew that we couldn't wait for those leads to show up to start doing something. So uh, we just created a fake investor meeting in our heads. uh, And we said, okay, in May, we have an investor meeting. Um, so I'd work, uh, like 10 hours in the weekends with a friend of mine, just, you know, putting together landing page, uh, a, a, a prototype flow, basically just, just basically visual UI, um, with, you know, with, with the bells and whistles, but, but only mostly just visual, uh, to be able to show someone and, and tell them, okay, this is, this is what this, uh, customer journey is about. And this is what this customer is seeing and this is what they're doing, um, and working on Things like uh, uh, you know making a solid business plan, um, getting uh, starting to talk to brokerages, starting to look into the licensing. So basically, just doing the the the, the groundwork that um, before which basically you want to de-risk a few things, um, do that groundwork. For us, we didn't have to go full time at, at the time. It it seemed very uh, premature to go full time, and uh, the. We went full-time. In the end, what happened was, um, and how Sarwa really uh, got off the ground was um, the UAE, in particular Dubai, launched uh, a a test license for new fintechs without which it would have been very hard for a fintech like Sarwa to get started. Uh, They launched an accelerator called Fintech Hive uh, to basically uh, bring in companies, startups that are doing something new in fintech, introduce them to the market and give them a, a clear talking uh, contact point with the regulators so that they can talk about this license. And so these came uh, really at specifically the time when we were doing it, uh, when we were working on this. The deadline to apply was actually in May when we had our fake investor meeting scheduled. <laughs> so we had, we had a lot of things basically. Um, we, we we had been working on this without even knowing on what we were working basically. So we applied, uh, we got in. When we got in, we now had um, a lot of validation from uh, whether the people at the fintech hive, a lot of which are you know, um, it's you have the regulator on one end, you have a lot of uh, financial professionals on the other. We had validation from um, from investors who. We had started talking to who, who sounded, uh, you know, interested in the topic, sounded interested in what we did, but for whom regulation was the number one uh, question mark. So this was, you know, it, yeah. uh, things started coming together enough and at that point it felt right. We knew that we had to go to the UAE and if we want to go there, we have three months during this thing to basically give it our all. and. After those three months, it would be, you know, either, either we've taken off or it's, uh, or it's stagnated and maybe it's dead. So we knew that if we want to do this right, we give it our all for those three months. And that's, that's when we, uh, we quit, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it. And um, One question I have is that, actually two questions I have. The first one is, when did you decide that, you know, what, what was the trigger that, you know, this time to go on this full time? Is it um, or was it the the license or was it like getting fundraising or just the fact that you can exist?
1: Mm. I think it's it's always going to be a gut feel thing. Um, You know, at at some point you start getting the sense of, okay, um, what I have right now, I have this, I mean, for us, I think what made sense was we started having a more or less a path to how this company can exist one day. Um, before that point, there was a possibility that there was no path for regulation that we knew about. Um, fundraising also, you know, if you don't have the regulation that killed the fundraising. Um, so, we needed, we needed basically just a few more things to line up for us to have a clear vision of, okay, if we succeed in this and this and this and this, then this company can succeed. Now that this there's this roadmap, even how however vague it is, right? I mean, you're talking about um, getting, you know, we we are betting on basically being able to uh, have the, the the supply chain of Satwa uh, set up and being able to find the, find the right partners. We're betting on being able to find investment. Betting on the regulator actually you know, being on board with what you're doing and not, I, I mean, you, you know, it's, it can happen. The, the, they do a program and then it doesn't actually materialize. There's a lot of bets. It's never going to be safe, uh, yeah. if it's safe it's too late. But at some point you have enough bets Things to bet on that might actually succeed, and okay, now there's a roadmap, and after that, it's sort of uh, the time was right. The time is right. There's the roadmap. Um, I think those things together, more or less, should be a good signal sure. that maybe it's time to to give it your all and to go full time.
0: I like the way you mentioned bets, uh, and I think this is really what a lot of startups are about uh, from a founder point of view and from investor point of view. Uh, there's a book that I've read called Thinking in Bets, uh, which is quite, an, it's its more meant for VCs, but um, it's mm-hmm. also relevant for startups, which is basically, you know, the main concept behind it is that you, you evaluate based on all the information you have at a time and you're, you make a bet basically and that bet might work or not but you just made that decision based on the best information you have today. Uh, so in many cases it just ends up being that the bet didn't work out because there's so many different factors that are uh, that are that come, come into play. And on the product side did you, so you, you created a prototype uh, but did you go into like an MVP phase or you went straight from a prototype to building like the full product?
1: Um, I think it's inevitable to go through an MVP phase. I mean, I don't even think we're out of the MVP phase. You know, you're you're always you can always make a better product and you always want to do more. And, you're, you know, there's I think that's kind of the, um, you know, one of the things that uh, one of those muscles that you need to, to build is um, You wanna make something that people that's gonna delight people, that people can will will enjoy enough to use, um, and that does what it needs to do, but you don't want to basically spend your time building and not Actually delivering, right? Um, so for us, it was a lot of. Uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of basically just um, you know taking a, a, an axe to this beautiful vision and and just whittling it down to okay, what are the minimum things that we that we need to have? But that's also because I'm uh, you know, more more functional in my thinking. I mean, Nadine and Mark would push back with. No, you know we need to make sure this is there because it's you know this is really gonna be what brings up the um, you know the experience the brand etc etc and so you know hopefully you have a good balance of those you know personalities in that tug of war to find the right balance of the mvp that you want um but it's inevitable that you'll have to go down that route
0: and for a company like, your, like Sarwa, uh probably one of the, the biggest uh, challenges that you have more than probably a lot of other startups is uh, validation early on. Trust is a big aspect. People are giving you their money. Um, and when you're new, it's kind of the chicken and the egg problem. Uh, yeah you have the customers to show that validation at the same time. um, You know, you need the customer. It's like you need both. So how did you go about that? How did you solve for this, especially at the beginning? And I'm very interested to know as well how you got your first, let's say 50 customers.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, it's a chicken and the egg problem. You need the track record to basically, you know, be trustworthy, but you need uh, to, to be need the trust to get the first people to be able to have the track record. So um, I mean for us there was a few things that um, basically we took advantage of and other things that we basically came up with ourselves. Um, The test license that uh, the IFC um, created first off had this incorporated into it where you know at the beginning in the first stage um, we could only take 10 clients and you know, those 10 clients had very clear communication with the regulator. And then after that, it went up to, I think, 50 or something like that. So, and the amount of money we could take from a particular client was capped you know, at the beginning, then that would be lifted, etc. So um, what we did was, um, so one part of it was that one part of it was uh, in the end, you know, as a, as a regulated company, the regulator is we're giving you some some trustworthiness uh, vis-a-vis the market because you know they're saying that um, you know these people are being uh, regulated you know these people this company Sarwa is regulated we we're, we're keeping an eye on them to make sure they do things right. Um, so that is a signal of trust to to the um, to the market. The other one is, is it's a lot of it's a I, th- I say it's a multi multifaceted thing right. You have that, you have um, showing that you're you're backed by you know legitimate uh, legitimate VCs, legitimate people from, from the sector. Um, another one, I mean, that, that's, so that's the external stuff I'd say. And then internally as a company, I mean, what we would do uh, for the first ones, for the first clients, you know, these are, there was a lot of people who were uh, very interested in this space, you know, when, when it first uh, started, uh, whether it's you know the idea of startups appearing in the UAE, which was which was quite novel at the time. I think it still is, um, or whether it's uh, you know uh, this kind of investing being available in the UAE, which a lot of people um, a lot of people wanted, and so you had people who were willing to to basically be excited for your project, and those were those were our, our first clients. There were people who. Um, heard about Sarwa and came to Sarwa uh, first off just to meet us and talk to us uh, you know as a founding team because they were interested in this project and they were interested in what we were doing and so these people were happy to you know um, be our first clients mainly just to support and that's it's really awesome when that exists. Um, so um, that's, I'd say that's the number one thing is, you know, you have, you always have your alpha users, those people who really care about your product enough that they're you validation. You make, they make you feel like you're doing something that people care about. And also they're willing to give you the benefit of the doubt, you know, especially, um, after they come and they meet you, and and you know now all of a sudden they, they know the founders behind this company, um, and uh, their you know their ideas are being listened to, incorporated into the product. So uh, when you plug into uh, to the ecosystem in that way, um, you know you show that you're kind of a part of it. Uh, um, in that way, it, it does it does foster foster trust. And our first very first clients, uh, that's that's how they started using the the company and the uh,
0: so if I understood it correctly, your approach was first go after the, the enthusiast, the, the close community, maybe the, it's the startup community or whatever it is that's, that's you know, you can connect with quicker. And the se- second thing you did is that uh, you are a self-serve platform, essentially, as you scale, mm-hmm. people go on on their own and create their own accounts, yeah. right? But at that yeah, early that's stage, correct.
1: you decided to do uh, more handholding. Hand- full hand holding and not only uh, that that has a lot of uh, different uh, angles to it um, on one end you're you know you have a few clients so might as well delight them you know you might as well give it there give it your all and make sure and you know make sure they you give them the best journey that you can give them at the time which you know that's an asterisk because the journey that you can give them at the time is usually somewhat very bumpy and you know a lot of things are being uh, plucked together behind the scenes so you you do that you you hand hold them as much as possible you you're uh, you take their feedback as much as much as possible and when you do that actually you're also benefiting because you're close to the action um you're you know uh, myself trying to figure out um, what do people uh, you know want out of this platform and what are the technical ramifications of this and also what does this mean in terms of where this product is going or Nadine in terms of trying to understand what is this brand that we need to create and you know what is what is Sarwa from a marketing perspective and what marketing uh, um tactics and strategies work best. All of this, I mean, it's, you can study and you can make plans, but uh, it's when you're in front of the action and talking to a client and getting that feedback, which you do when you handhold them, um, that's when you can make those decisions much more quickly and you're, you're learning much more quickly about your own system and about your own business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, especially at the beginning, I think, Uh, Many founders underestimate the importance of you as a founder doing a lot of that customer support. A
1: hundred percent, hundred percent,
0: especially I find
1: for the technical founder as well. Um, For the technical founder as well, I find that's very underrated um, as a, uh, the the level of involvement that's needed. I mean, you know. Technical, uh, sorry, uh, customer support is one way to do it and one thing that you need, but um, you need to be frontline to understand what you're building and to understand the solve, the problems that you need to solve um, right away. Um, and, you know, when you're building something new like that, you, you could kind of sit in your basement and, and come up with a plan for everything, but most of the time, You're not going to know exactly the best things to focus on uh, as well as you would if you're in the front line and and really... Uh, using your mind as much to understand from a product and business perspective as you are from a technical perspective and i find that's so very underrated for um, you know they uh, from what i've seen they're generally not as involved as they should be mm-hmm.
0: got it and i want to talk a little bit about your audience and when you first started versus now uh you spoke a little bit about you know the millennial audience uh in terms of investment uh, especially initially and even now who are your main um, competitors or is it is it like new audience that you're bringing in into investing or is it someone who i don't know maybe they're putting investing in stocks using sexobank bank or something else uh and then you, you you're converting them to to use that referral. so how, how does your target audience split uh who are you going after uh today as well
1: yeah, I mean, um, I'd, I'd say it's evolved, you know, our understanding of our target audience. Uh, at the beginning, we, you know, we thought of it as um, millennials or uh, young professionals, but um, I think that, you know, it's very rough and not a very, uh, you know if you really look at it, that's uh, not really a segment that's that's that well defined. Um, and so I, th- it sort of evolved more into understanding that okay, there's there's a few different types of investors. There's those that have never invested before, but uh, basically they're they're hungry to get into this. They know that it's important for them, uh, and they just need to figure out the the, the entry points, you know, which can be difficult if there's no um, accessible service out there. Uh, which, which was the case, uh, you know, in the in the region before before fintech started getting uh, getting going. Uh, so that's one target segment. Uh, and another target segment is no people who have invested before, um, who have either gotten burned by um, whether it's you know uh, some of the many uh, uh, obscure investment. Uh, companies of the of the UAE or of the region, uh, or who um, tried to do it themselves and couldn't, uh, you know, st- saw that it was a lot of work actually to be able to do it right. Um, so people who have dabbled in it, who have tried one way or another and sort of um, found that it was uh, it was either too difficult or too obscure um, and uh, who, who still need to invest after that. So um, those are sort of two segments that we found um, and you know within those it, it also goes into more granular levels as well of course and you know you can have uh, the um, the uh, pe- people who have their families who want to save up for the families or um, those who want to just, you know, at the beginning of their career and save long term, um, it breaks down actually quite uh, nebulously, I'd say across those markets and those different per- personas. Um, but uh, the, the the offering and the, I guess the bottom line of it is generally the same. And how do you make money today? What's your business model? Uh, so today the business model is essentially a percentage of assets under management, what we call assets under management um, per year. So the idea is uh, you invest a certain amount of Sarwa, Sarwa uh, charges you a, a very small percentage of that every year. So the uh, for us, it's a tiered pricing. So it starts at uh, 0.85% on, uh, and goes down to 0.5% uh, a year. As, as you invest more um, so and that's a good business model to have in general like that's the best practice because it means that um, you know we're we're as much your partners in, in your gains as in your losses and if you're um, we're also not encouraged to uh, put you in any instrument over another so which which is good because that shouldn't be something that we um, we ha- we have I guess interest in. Uh, our interest should be to put you in instruments that fit your um, risk profile, um, and then make sure that you have the returns that uh, that best fit your your risk profile. And that for us, you know, that business model makes makes us aligned. You know, we're not just taking uh, bonuses from your gains and not participating in the losses. It's you know, if, if you're making money, we're making money. If you're not, where we make less money, basically.
0: Yeah. This goes back to trust, right? So linking your business absolutely. To
1: Okay, and, and and making it uh, also in the trust aspect, making it very simple and uh, very transparent, yeah, right? Uh, that's that's something that in the UAE you'll find and the region. Uh, this, you know, a lot of people will invest and not know really how the charges work. It's very difficult to know actually how the charges work, um, and so you, there's. It's very. How do you trust something when well, you can't even understand? The, with how it's the <laughs> yeah, with. with the, there's uh, yeah even there's even worse out there so definitely uh, a big part of it
0: has this model changed or has it been the same from from the beginning
1: no no actually that's been very stable yeah from yeah. from day one even even the how the
0: tiers that you mentioned or these it's fluctuated
1: <laughs> barely I'd say really barely. Uh, fluctuated. I don't know if they even fluctuated at all, to be honest. I think we've always had them more or less at this level. Interesting, okay. Um, talking about the
0: challenges side of things, uh, when it comes especially to operating in the region, uh, I know, you know, getting your license uh, in, in Dubai was probably one of the first things that was the sign that, okay, we can have a business at least to start with. Uh, yeah. But we live in a region where, and we were just talking, me and you a little bit about this before, we live in a region where the market, the, the overall like, size of the market, is essentially like almost 20 countries. So you have like all these different countries that if you want to like actually operate in, um, mm-hmm. and benefit. And this applies to any startup and, and you know, talk to many startups. that This is one of, was one of our challenges as well. So how are you tackling that challenge specifically that in your case, it's not just about, you know, going and opening an office or going and entering that market. It's about getting regulated. So you have to right. go through that whole bureaucratic you know, step uh, and and you entering a market is dependent on that. And by the way, on that conversation, congrats on your I I, I know that you obtained your KSA license. Right. Uh, And and congrats on that.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Ray. Uh, Yeah, no, that's that's a huge point. Um, But I think the, you know, I think there's two sides to it. First off, I mean, yeah, you know, there's, there's as a startup in general, but there's also the parentheses of, uh, of, you know, in, uh, in retail FinTech. So it's, uh, I think, okay, so I'm, I'm just mainly going to talk actually about uh, how it applies them to my business and what I know about it in my business. Um, first off, you can probably, uh, you know, when you're doing something new. Uh, at least new, new in the region, like uh, like we are. There's a lot that you can dig out of the same market. Um, so that shouldn't be underestimated. Actually, I mean, I think we barely even scratched the surface of the UAE as a market. Um, I think there's a lot of things that we can do, uh, a lot, of, a lot of things that we can offer more, and uh, you know, a lot of people that we have yet to reach. Um, so that's that's on its own. Um, you know that's kind of a uh, i think a, a gold mine or a you know a market that has yet to be um, that still is largely left unexplored, and that can be, um, you know, that can be serviced much more. Basically, um, and then after that, I mean, you know, obviously looking um, a- expanding to to the rest of the region, you know, is uh, is in the vision of the company, and it's something that we care a lot about. And uh, now with uh, with Saudi on the horizon, uh, you know, it's. Uh, Like it's it's materializing, but it's also something that we don't do lightly. And I think that's just, that would be different or maybe a bit less applicable if you're not in a regulated industry, but still applicable nonetheless. Whenever you need to do things differently between one market or or another, um, that needs to be also factored in as a, um, you know, as as something to to keep in mind. Um, I mean, I guess the gist of it is... um, Expansion is is good, but uh, you know it can easily turn into. We we have seen other players basically, you know, just expand a bit too rapidly, try to go global way too rapidly, uh, and then just be stuck with a Completely incoherent system, completely incoherent product or operations, um, and you know, weighed down enormously by this. So. Instead, it's it has to be kind of a very deliberate thing of moving to one market to another, I think, uh, especially in a regulated industry or anything where logistics kind of comes into play like that. Um, but the market is there. I mean, uh, we have, uh, it's true that it's not you know, you could say it's not that many countries, but in the end, it's it's a it's a huge part of the world, a huge part of the world that speaks the same language, um, which is huge, which is a big, big plus. Yeah. I mean, there's there aren't that many, you know, there's what three different geographies where there's uh, um, this kind of language that's so spread that everyone knows. Um, And that's that's amazing. I mean, it means means you can reach a lot of people. So uh, I would say the region is more encouraging than not uh, on that front. Uh, Of course, it depends on the kind of business that you run and the kind of service that you're offering.
0: Definitely. And uh, someone in the audience asking a question about, uh, you know, how how do you deal with taxes uh, on, on the gains? And I guess that differs also based on the uh, different markets that you're dealing Mm -hmm. with. Uh, see probably taxes is one, then currencies is another one. So, and probably it creates a lot of complications on the tech side things for you in terms Mm -hmm. of like capturing all these different things. So yeah, you a bit of light on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, on one side, the UAE, for instance, you know, offers that benefit and that plus is that, um, you don't have a, of a, a complex tax system, or you know, almost any tax system um, that you need to basically accommodate. So it does alleviate actually some of that, some of those issues when when a lot of our um, um, a lot of our clients, when they're residents of the UAE, you know, it alleviates their uh, the need to to you know to basically have someone on hand to help them out with that. Um, and we also you know you have to know your limits as a company. I mean, for us. Uh, we know kind of what our obligations are. We know that on top of that, there's the things that we, the services that we want to provide to our clients because we know we can provide them well. And there's the things that we, you know, we know that uh, in the end, our client will need, we will, will help out as much as we can. Our clients will also need to get professionals on their end. So for people who have, have complex, you know, tax situations, that's usually what we tell them. And uh, it's definitely better than, than you know, trying to do too much and not doing it well, so that's on that front. Uh, then the currencies, uh, the currencies is its own thing actually because it's true that in the UAE that's, uh, you know, it's um, um, it's one of those quirks of the market but it's cool to have a quirk of the market that because it means you can really personalize your product. It means you can localize it and, you know, start saying, okay, how can I make it better for, um, for this region that has this, you know, two currencies or this currency flying around or these many currencies flying around. So um, that's something that we sort of, um, I think, leaned on and leaned into. Um, so it does add a bit more, you know, you have to think about things a lot more because you have to, to think of, okay, but what about all these different currencies coming in how are we going to deal with this and how are we going to deal with that? But once you solve these problems, you've created something, you've solved that problem for a lot of people and, uh, yeah. you know, it gives them all the more reasons to use your platform and stay with it.
0: Nice. Uh, I want to dig a little bit more detail on the tech side of things and the, and the product. Uh, <laughs> How, how are you going about attracting talent, uh, technical talent in the region? Are you hiring from uh, within Dubai or are you hiring from uh, global and, and basically importing talent?
1: Um, yeah, no, good question. I think, well, first off, in terms of uh, from where uh, hiring for me, it, um, I mean, we have our team in the UAE. So in general, um, you know, I look for people who want, who are willing to move to the UAE, um, you know, but we, we've been very flexible with, uh, with also, you know, remote work, etc. Um, but in general, they don't have to be in the UAE. Of course, they can be really anywhere and, uh, you know, as long as they're... Um, what matters more is, uh, you know, do they have the, the cultural fit? Do they have the, the technical skills? Do they have the the potential, you know, the right mindset, et cetera? Um, and then after that, I mean, geography is really uh, now, uh, you know, maybe in, uh, in COVID world, uh, um, I mean, you know, on one end, people were moving around a lot, you know, even before then, uh, uh, you know, before before the, the, the pandemic and now people work remotely so well that it doesn't even matter anymore. So, um, certainly, you know, we have a worldwide view on that. Then to attract talent, I mean, I think there's... Uh, you know, uh, there's challenges that come with being a startup, especially you know when you're when you're starting off. Um, whether it's uh, especially in the UAE, you know, some people's you look at salaries, they can they can be all over the place, really. Yeah. Um, and that could definitely be a, a, a challenge. So what we the approach that we've always took was you know we want to be competitive and we've, we've always worked to be competitive on uh, on salary because in the end you need to make sure that um, you know I've, we've always thought that the people working for the company including you know same mentality for ourselves um, can't have people worried about their finances while they're working for you. I mean, it's completely counterproductive and it's not uh, its not ethical. Um, but beyond that, you you know, once you're competitive, you have an edge that other companies don't when you're a startup. And hopefully you're doing a startup in something that, um, that you care about and you know why you care about it. Uh, hopefully you're doing something that's um, that's good. And that's, uh, you know, that's creating value to the world and that you're proud of. Because uh, if you are, then uh, you you will most likely find other people who um, can relate and can feel the same way and can feel uh you know, people want to be proud of the work that they do. People want to work at a company where they're, they're proud of the end result and the end product and the impact that they're making. So that's definitely something that um, I think every founder should ask themselves, you know, beyond financial compensation, why are they doing this? Uh, Why do they enjoy this idea in particular, why did they pick it and hopefully they picked, you know, something that they can, uh, they can be proud of because they can transmit that sort of pride and, uh, and passion. So that's a big part of it. Another part of it is, um, you know, uh, so if you're a software engineer, you can go work at a, at a bank in general and you work at a bank, you probably will make more money than you will at other tech companies. But you know why you don't want to do it because you will be working in a, a bureaucracy that is very. Big You'll be doing very uh, narrow tasks. Uh, you likely uh, will not get the culture of, uh, you know, of kind of flexibility and quick problem solving and uh, creativity that you would get at a at a tech company or a startup. Uh, conversely, on the other end of the spectrum, where people who have startups and tech startups are, um, they have that luxury which, you know, which is a double edged sword, it comes with a lot of responsibility and work, but it's also a luxury to be able to wear so many different hats, have so much ownership of your work, you know, be, uh, uh, I mean, there's not one person uh, who works with uh, in our team today who, Uh, can afford not to be kind of you know engaged in their work and who doesn't make an impact just by being engaged in their work and by by being an extra brain really of the company. Uh, You know everyone wears a lot of different hats, Uh, people get to do a lot of interesting things and uh, their yeah their creativity and their 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 mind matters so um, that's something that a startup offers that not a lot of companies offer so just one one last thing to close off on this um i'd say you know if uh, for founders the most important thing is uh, you know see why you like your job and try to make your employees like their job for the same reasons and give them the reasons to like their job uh, basically uh, you know, make it so that uh, your, your, um, all the things that, that you enjoy, they should be able to enjoy it too.
0: That's interesting, yeah. starting from your own motivations and then trying to understand other great teams' motivations as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a big part of leadership in general.
0: And uh, on the products uh, specifically, um, First, what do you think was like one of your best features or additions to your product from, from when you started till today or your favorite? I don't know. You can pick one of of those two.
1: It's a tough one. Um, It's a really tough one. I think, I mean, um, let's see. So my, I mean, definitely like the one that, uh, um, the one that had a massive impact and that You know, once we finished it and we saw uh, its impact, we were very happy about it was we used to have a just the most obnoxious onboarding uh, for someone to go from registration to opening an account. And it was like, you know, a lot of forms and you know, things were not slick. And uh, it just seemed like such a chore to do it. Um, and at one point, I think everyone, everyone on the team was fed up with this and we just sort of put in the uh, the, the, the attention and the, the mental focus of a lot of people to try to see, okay, what do, what can we acts, what can we, what do we need to keep? What don't we need to keep? What do we need to move around? uh, How can we make it so that it's, uh, this is around the time where um, Becky, who's a designer that's working, who's a designer on our team, started working with us. um, You know, how can you make this like a really enjoyable journey? And A lot of basically brain power went into this uh, and time. to just thinking about this and and, and conceptualizing it and putting it together. And uh, it's probably the thing that boosted our conversion, uh, like single thing that boosted our conversion the most. um, And also just, um, took our product from you know something, that, <laughs> that, which repulsed us, to, almost to use to something that really delighted us. So I'd say that was that was the biggest thing.
0: Absolutely, that's very interesting as well because I mean onboarding generally it's it's not about the, the complexity of the tech. It's probably the, the least complex, but it's actually about simplification and uh, making the mm-hmm. process extremely simple for the users uh, yeah. and, and being able to get to that. Uh, it's very interesting that you say that as that one of the one of the biggest features it's extremely important and it's something that I think a lot of founders and teams uh, because you build your own product so you kind of Get used to that process. You don't see it anymore, so you kind of have to like unsee it and then restart again as as with with a fresh eye on it. Uh, Very difficult to do. Yeah. Do you believe in building in public? I mean, you spoke about uh, transparency and trust and all of that, and it's, that's important for you. Uh, do you believe mm. in building in public? And do you guys build in public?
1: Um, I think we don't do it that much, to be to be fully honest. Um, I don't know how much i believe in it to be honest i think it does depend uh there's probably like a good balance right um we do it as in we usually we pilot features in a certain way um so we'll we'll just pilot them just to see kind of okay are people using them how are they using them what are they looking for um and and we'll follow up on them in a very you know very uh, hands-on basis um so that you know we're not investing early on in features that people don't want and when they're out there, we're able to react quickly to yeah. basically make it evolve in the, in the right direction. Um, so I guess in, in some way we do do that, uh, you know, like building in public. But do you have um, any other
0: stuff that's public like your product roadmap or any of your metrics or any of that?
1: Is- mm, I see what you mean. I don't think we do at the moment. I don't think we do right now. Um, maybe there's something that's not coming to mind, but um, in general, We'll, you know, we'll do it more in uh, in close committee with some, you know, talking to some of uh, the clients that, that we have relationships with where we can really like, um, you know, yeah. basically, we know we know that they're targeted for this. We know that this would help them most. Uh, so we'll get that conversation. Where, you know, we're thinking of doing this. Uh, what would you, you know, what do you think about this, et cetera And we'll use their feedback. But um, that's generally how we've approached it in the past. That can change.
0: Uh, and how, how do you evaluate and decide on features, uh, especially technical features? You know, I mean, product roadmaps are usually uh, quite extensive, and there's a lot of things in the pipeline. Uh, and one of the biggest challenges, probably, work they have to do as a CTO and co-founder is prioritize. You know, what what happens next, and what do we focus on next uh, when it comes to features and, and rolling yeah. out the things.
1: So that's probably the hardest thing um, about uh, about well, I uh, maybe I don't know. It's it's a really hard thing. I should just yeah. it's a really hard. Do you thing. have a methodology?
0: Um, do, you, do you have a methodology that you follow with that? Like if you were to just like think of
1: yeah, like uh, how- it's been evolving it's been evolving as a methodology and uh it's something that you know we i I wouldn't say we've figured out but uh it's we've certainly are better at it now than we were before um because there's so first off if you want to strike the right balance you want to be being aggressive and reaching, for, you know, reaching for new things and, and trying new things and not just, you know, incrementally doing what you've always been doing. You want to, to always be uh, looking for, you know, that, that next bet that's going to give you, uh, that's going to open new doors. While at the same time, being mindful that every new door you go through comes with a lot of you know, like the follow-up and the work and the, and the maintenance, etc., you know, it's um, everything that, you know, once you go through that door, it, it will be, it will open up a lot more to do basically going after that. So, there's a very delicate balance to find between um, what do you want to explore and what do you want to stay, steer away from. Um, I think it comes down to a having uh, a like a a vision of what um what are the big things that we want to achieve that are in line with what we've been doing right now so um a vision for the company a vision for where you want to go going forward then after that it's everything you want to sort of align things as much as possible um the more things are aligned the less the more lean you can stay. Um, And then, so right now we're starting to look at something, uh, starting to look at a new uh, way of of prioritizing where uh, essentially it's, we, um, we take the time, some people on the team, the product team, take the time to um, draw up ideas of here are you know things that we we want to bet time on. We want to bet development time on, um, and then basically uh, coming together as a team and and choosing which ones we think will have the most impact for the um, for, and and the most appetite to do them. You know for the for the budget, the time budget that we have, um, and basically prioritizing them that way. It's a it's a work in progress. I mean, there's a lot of different. Uh, it's it's a big it's a big uh topic i think you can talk about it for hours um yeah, it's a challenge so it's a, sure. very, very challenging and i definitely will tell you that i you know we've done the uh, we've had times where we've just stagnated by just you know, kind of improving the same stuff over and over again and being optimizers rather than innovators and other times where we've tried to do five different things at the same time and, and we're, we're able to do one of them yeah. because, um, you know, we lost focus. So it's, it's really delicate and, you know, it's at some point, I, you know, you end up finding the, the, the right balance of what makes yeah. sense in terms of uh, what to reach for.
0: Yeah. And it's usually like a combination of many things. So uh, you don't want to, you want to add new features, but you don't want to overload the the product with with new features. You want to keep it simple to use at the same time. You have to balance between, you know, Uh, you or others from the team or each one like getting emotional about certain, you know, know, seeing a feature somewhere and they get excited about it and they want to do it. Or you see something and you want to do it, then you have to go back to the, like you said, to the drawing board and see, okay, how much does this align with my vision? what value is it creating true value creating to to customers and and then decide, you know, where this falls on the roadmap.
1: Yeah. So a big, a big part of that is also just having um, a smaller, more dedicated uh, number of people, or maybe even one person who is more of a product owner, you know, and more someone who is, okay, this person is product. Before it was more nebulous. And then we started really, um, you know, kind of whittling it down to who makes the decisions on the product. And then, of course, there's inputs from everywhere. I mean, whether it's operations or marketing or or whatever. Um, or tech, you know, everyone has inputs, but someone needs to basically think of, okay, how well does this really look materially and do we want to do this? Um, so that that needs to be a bit of a smaller uh, smaller set of people or maybe even one person. That's a big one uh, in terms of uh, just making things coherent yes. and giving, direct, giving the right direction. Yeah.
0: And when it comes to, to growth hacking and growth in general, uh, what are certain things that worked for you? Uh, can you recall any specific uh, moves that you guys did that really enabled you to kind of go on the trajectory of getting uh, a lot of new users on board?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's been there's been a lot of them. Definitely. One thing that uh, you know helped us a lot when we started off was um, just no, it was uh, fintech was a you know and still is a buzzword, something that people you know are very excited about. They want to see where it goes. Startups, same thing. Uh, so you know we, uh, we we've always been fortunate in that um, there is interest in, in what we do, and so we've always tried to put ourselves out there in that uh, in that sense. Um, as a, you know, as a UAE homegrown company, as a company that's, um, you know, that's innovating on fronts that people find interesting and, you know, leveraging, I guess, the the exposure that that gives us. And that's always, that's been very helpful uh, to us, especially in the early days. Um, that sort of press helps you in, in, in a lot of different ways also beyond right. just growth. Um, so there's that, there's also, I mean, we talked about just having the founders be uh, more on the front line. Um, so that uh, I think is, a, is also a decent one when you're first starting off. I mean, it's, uh, um, so what we would do, we would invite people to our offices and have a seminar and then, uh, you know, you would have, we talk about uh, Sarwa and we, you know, um, Um, I guess integrate in a a talk about just investing in general. And so you would have obviously all kinds of people, you would have people who were very skeptical about what we did or had their own opinion. But the cool thing about it is, uh, you're, you're a small company. So you're a founder, you can, you're on the front line. Um, in general, you've, you know, everything there is to know about your business and you're, you're extremely well versed in your business. And so you can really, um, really be there and you know sell it in the right way I guess right uh, be that extremely well informed representative uh, representative of your of your company uh, and so that would you know those events would really you know we would see it wouldn't it wouldn't be like uh, um, huge numbers of people but those people that would come would would then Become, the, they become customers because, you know, they, um, they got all their answers, uh, questions answered and they, you know, they were able to talk to the founders and really, really, uh, you know, go deep in, in understanding the product. And when people, once people understand their product, they, they're much more likely to, uh, to use it. Um, so I'd say those are two big things aside from that, I mean, there's, a uh, um, I can't really point to any one thing. I mean, we've tried, we've done and tried a lot of different things that uh, um, uh, throughout the years, uh, I can't, I don't really have any one thing
0: to One thing you mentioned, which is on education, specifically educating your customers, Mm -hmm. are you scaling that now that your, you know, your time as founder is more limited as you're growing, you have more customers that you need to talk to. How are you, you know, kind of continuing with that kind of like education trust building approach? uh is it through content is it through um
1: i don't know virtual uh, seminars or what, what, what are you doing uh so it's yeah virtual uh, webinars was a big one uh and still is a big one that we do um and the content basically uh, educational content is something that we've um uh, you know we started doing uh, early on and we we just kept doing since then so um yeah, I'd say I'd say on that front I mean you you scale it by uh, you know we scaled it by also by transmitting to the team you know like now it's um, it can be founders but it can be other people on the team who who kind of um, you know, do the same kind of interactions with, uh, with clients, whether in webinars now in webinars more, more generally, um, and, uh, and that's, that's how we've been, we've been scaling those, uh, those human interactions. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, on the last part we're, we're- almost out of out of time, uh, but the last part that I wanted to discuss is fundraising. Um, <laughs> first, how, how hard or easy has it been for you uh, to fundraise? Uh, uh, and how long did it take you to, to fundraise as well?
1: I think it uh, progressively starts Taking longer and longer to fundraise, um, we were lucky in that the, the early on we sort of met investors that we um, we vibed well with, and who who got the startup mentality, but also who got what we were trying to do and thought that it was a uh, you know something that that was very interesting to them. Um, so, uh, you know, for us, uh, Shuluk, who was our lead investor uh, in our seed round and then continued on with us in the many round, uh, rounds after that, um, you know, we were lucky in that we, we, we found people that we were able to, you know, really see eye to eye with about um, about our business, about why, what makes it good, about, uh, um, you know, I guess the dynamics even of, you uh, uh, of uh, um, a startup so that's that's a big one it's it's uh, that can be a bit um um, bit of a a a big search right to find those investors that i mean there are a lot of investors in the region so it's not it's not that's not the 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 main one the main one is just finding the leads you know finding the um um, the investor that gets what you're doing, likes what you're doing, gets you as a founder and that you also um, you know you want to work with them because you know if they're your lead investor most likely they'll be on your board, most likely they will have a lot to say uh, about about uh, uh, you know your business so you want someone you can see eye to eye with and that's not a, an easy search I think in any market um, so that's that's really the you know the it takes a lot of time, uh, a lot of time, and uh, for you know, for Mark, when he did it last time, he he led on the Series A, and it was practically a full time job of his uh, for for half a year. Um, so it, it does take a lot of time, but it's uh, it's a necessary uh, it's a necessary thing, and. Um, I think yeah. I mean, I, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one to say. It depends on a lot of different factors. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it can take. Uh, you know, I'd say the 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 best thing to do is to just uh, start before you need it. Really, start by just having conversations and making those contacts and seeing which one who you know who has the best shot at really being interested at, at what you're doing, um, and. Keeping uh, keeping it very wide while still focusing on uh, on your potential leads.
0: So you're saying that the, uh, the 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 first round was easier. You did you did one round or have you done two rounds so far?
1: So we did a seed round, a bridge round, and a series A round.
0: And as as you went, did it get easier or did it get harder? <laughs>
1: It's hard to say, it's hard to say, um, I don't say, I don't think it ever gets, got easy. Um, you know, there was always, yeah. you always have to, you know, getting people to, to part with their money, even in, into something that they believe in is never easy, but, um, I say the challenge is different. Um, you know, you have to prove different things at different points. Um, so yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a hard one even to compare between the different funding rounds, the the dynamic is different in terms of that being said, I'd say the first one is probably the hardest one because you're really going off of, um, you know, nothing. You have what? Uh, only a prototype, no market, especially, you know, <laughs> all the things that you're, you're, you're a startup in fintech. So um, in a region that... Uh, hasn't seen, mostly hasn't seen a product like yours before. So um, a lot of people didn't believe in the idea. A lot of people didn't believe it would work in this market. A lot of people um, thought that we needed a different kind of team to do it. You know, you have so many things to prove in the first round. It's uh, the, That's why you need someone who believes in, in your idea and who believes in um, in your ability to do it because those are the biggest two risks when you're first starting off. No one, uh, you don't have anything to prove um, either of the two until you actually do it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's uh, like, yeah, at the beginning, you have a lot of naysayers and, and it's because you don't have like traction or a lot of traction. Yeah. You don't have a full product. So essentially the, the vision and the team that, that uh, the investors are, are buying into. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Jed. I think we've, we've reached the end of the conversation. Uh, Congrats on all the all the stuff that you guys have done uh, over the Thank years. You. Uh it's very exciting. Uh, definitely been out there and and, and people know about you guys and, and and use your product. Uh and thanks for joining the show and sharing your experiences, especially with other founders. And that's the the aim My of pleasure. what we do uh with Meta Conversations is that you know, a lot of current new founders coming in to to basically learn at a localized level what, you know founders like you are a little bit ahead in terms of timeline, uh, what they've learned and what they've done. Uh, and kind of, I mean, this is being on the podcast, one form of building in public, if you want. So you are doing it in one way or the other.
1: <laughs> uh, well, thanks. So thank you for for having me, Ray. And thank you for doing this too. Uh, you know, I think this kind of stuff is uh, really valuable and helps a lot of people. And uh, uh, one thing that, uh, you know, when we started off, we, we, we always thought was very valuable was whenever we could get that sort of uh, exchange of uh, ideas and experiences with other founders it's just a, um, it's, a, it's a food for the for the entrepreneur's mind i guess
0: definitely yeah thanks a lot hopefully we'll have you again on the show uh, later down the line so you give us updates on what's going on uh, thank you safe flight back to the uae uh, thank I'm you sorry.
1: thank you thank you have a good one Bye-bye. Bye bye bye
0: If you enjoy listening and find it useful, you can follow the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or watch the video
1: version on stepplus.stepconference.com.